Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to episode 18 of the History of Skipton, with me, Ian Lockwood, author of the book, The History of Skipton. This episode is the start of a new segment of the series. We concluded Skipton at play in our last episode, so now we'll move on to Skipton at work. Maybe you can recall that at the start of the series, I put forward my theory that Skipton's past is that of a working-class town, with much more in common with the East Lancashire mill towns to the west than the affluent commuter dormitories of Ilkley and Harrogate to the east. More by accident than design, Skipton has become a pleasant tourist destination in the last 50 or so years. This segment explores that theme a little more closely. In 1771, the owner of a company making wigs opened a factory in Cromford, Derbyshire, spinning cotton. Some historians date this as the start of the Industrial Revolution. For, within ten years, the machine used and the system devised for the most efficient working of the factory had spread across the country. The man was Richard Arkwright, and the invention was a mechanised spinning frame driven by water power. Whether Arkwright was a brilliant inventor or a shrewd businessman who knew how to exploit the minds of others is a debate for elsewhere. But before he opened his mill, cotton spinning was confined to single, hand-driven looms. There was a demand for cotton goods, imported from the Far East, as cotton was lighter and more versatile than wool, but the costs were high. With the help of a clockmaker called John Kay, who came up with the intricate machinery, Arkwright made improvements on the hand-driven spinning looms invented earlier by James Hargreaves. The result was the mass production of a stronger yarn that required less physical labour. Arkwright's machine, the water frame, was driven by the power of a water wheel turned by Derbyshire's River Derwent, and it proved hugely successful. The Universal Daily Register reported in 1785 that the great mechanic Arkwright was a barber and a few years ago shaved for a penny. His astonishing machine brought him one year a revenue of £70,000, and though he has lowered his prices to crush his rivals, his profits are yet between £40,000 and £50,000 a year. Arkwright had patented his machine and sold its technology under copyright. The first mill using the water loom in the area around Skipton was built in Keithley at Low Mill by William Clayton. 
He paid the huge sum of £4,200 for the licence, with the first instalment of £600 due six months after the mill opened. But in July 1781, Arkwright lost an important court case over his invention when the defendants successfully argued that the patent was obscure and incomplete. That opened the floodgates for men who had money to invest, and the legal case was to unleash a mania for opening mills, which has been likened to the railway mania of the 1840s. Although Arkwright managed to overturn the 1781 judgment a few years later, a final decision in July 1786 also went against him. The loss of patent, and with it the requirement to pay Arkwright vast sums, was surely high on the minds of three businessmen when they identified a site in Skipton Woods as an ideal place to open a cotton spinning mill. Some of the money was put up by the Earl of Thanet, on whose land the trio wished to establish their mill. The deal was that the mill owners would pay the Earl a return over a period of 21 years, after which the building would be handed over to the Earl. But in fact, the lease was to be renewed at regular intervals. The three entrepreneurs were Peter Garforth, his brother-in-law John Sidgwick, and John Blackburn, who completed what was called High Mill in 1784, and they insured it with the Sun Fire Insurance Company with a valuation of £600 for the building and £1,000 for the machinery and stock. Garforth was a wealthy Skiptonian, and his name also crops up in the town's history for hosting John Wesley, the Methodist founder, on his preaching tour of the country. Garforth was to remain a staunch Wesleyan for the rest of his life. He had made his money from the corn mill, downstream of this cotton mill, where paper was also manufactured. We get a hint of the character of Peter Garforth from an extraordinary, that is to our eyes, advert which was placed in the Leeds Mercury on October the 30th, 1793, when he was a widower. Garforth's advert read, Wanted a good housekeeper, one who can buy good meat and cook it in a plain way, read well and write same, be clean in her own person and keep her house neat and clean, have a lively disposition and if she can sing hymns, well, she will be the more agreeable, but she must not get mastery over her master, nor so much as attempt it, neither will she be one who will cheat or be cheated in her station, and sooner than steal from or rob her master would take a snake into her bosom. Besides, if she does, she will be punished in such a manner as she is not aware of, and therefore such as have these inclinations will do well not to apply. He lived until his 78th year in 1811, with his son, also called Peter, running much of the business. Garforth was already 51 when the mill was built in Skipton Woods. His partner, John Sidgwick, was even older at 68. But both had sons, and it seems that they had more input into the day-to-day -day running of the business than their fathers. 
The third partner, John Blackburn, is an obscure figure, but it seems a reasonable assumption that he was the money man. They must have persuaded the absentee landlords, the Earls of Thanet, of riches to be made and large rents to be paid by persuading them to release the land in the shadow of the castle for industrial development. Although the Thanets were reasonably content for money to be made from their land, after all, they had actively sought to build Springs Canal, with its disruption and noise, right under the walls in order to further their quarrying industry. The fact that the Thanets very rarely visited Skipton may explain this. High Mill is no longer in existence. It was knocked down soon after the building closed in 1890. But it was a substantial building. It was on four floors and was 128 feet long with an internal water wheel and a fancy cupola on top. Its remnants can still be seen entering Skipton Woods in the form of a holiday cottage whose windows take in part of the original floor. And you can still see the large retaining wall built into the hillside. If you've been downloading your podcast from the website historyofskipton.co.uk, the accompanying photograph to this episode is the remains of the high mill. Setting up a cotton mill required three ingredients. Water, skilled craftsmen and cheap labour. Ella Beck provided the water and the three partners soon to be two, for Blackburn disappeared from the scene after about a year, cast around for the required skilled mechanics, craftsmen and clockmakers, for the intricate working of the machinery used the techniques and skills found in clockmaking. So much so that the explosion in water frame cotton spinning caused a shortage of clockmakers throughout the country. An entry in the Skipton Parish Register for November 1784 shows a baptism of the second son of John Parker, who is described as cotton engine maker and who originated from Ashbourne in Derbyshire, very near Arkwright's Mills in the Derwent Valley. Parker was surely lured from Derbyshire to Skipton to build High Mill. The story, alas, has an unhappy ending. Parker's wife died six days after the birth of their son, who was himself carried off by smallpox five months later. No other trace of John Parker is to be found. Perhaps he moved on to ply his skills at the opening of another new mill somewhere else in the country. The third ingredient, cheap labour, was clearly available in Skipton, although the population of the town was under 2,000 at this point. Employers needed children and women especially, as their wages were low and their smaller fingers were much more able to cope with dealing with the threads. Men were employed in heavier or supervisory work. While labour would have followed the jobs, there were clearly benefits from having the workforce on the doorstep at the start. To modernise, the conditions of child labour in the mill were deplorable. 
John Harrison, who lived from 1774 to 1845 and was a founding member of the Skipton Congregational Chapel, wrote his memoirs. As a child, he had worked at the Skipton Mill and he tells how, despite a 14-hour day, he would willingly work in his meal breaks and overtime to earn a few extra pennies. Writing of himself in the third person, Harrison remembered, Yet while only a little boy, perhaps only eight years old, he was promoted, and a promotion it was seriously considered to be, from the spinning wheel to the cotton mill. The hands had to be at their posts by six in the morning, until eight did the rumble of the machines require their incessant attention, except the necessary intervals for meals. This child, when he had wrought 14 hours, time of meals accepted, and had hereby earned a day's wages to be taken on Saturdays to his parents, would volunteer himself to work over hours at a half penny per hour, and by working during part of his meal times, and then one or even two hours after eight at night, he would often earn a whole penny, if not three half pence, for himself. Robert Owen, a Scottish factory owner and reformer who proposed no child should be employed under the age of 10, visited Skipton in 1816 and discussed conditions with Sidgwick's son, William. Later that year, the House of Commons held an inquiry into Owen's proposals. And Sidgwick was called to give evidence. The Commons Committee was told that the Sidgwicks were rumoured to have discharged a great number of children from the Skipton Mill in advance of the hearing. William Sidgwick appeared before the Parliamentary Committee on May the 17th, 1816, and denied that he had cut the numbers of children working in his Skipton Mill. But he was very evasive about the number of children employed there within the previous 18 months, saying between 100 and 180 was a mere guess. Employers, such as Sidgwick, gave four justifications for employing young children for long hours. Firstly, any reduction in hours was a gift to foreign competitors. Secondly, it was not arduous work requiring attention rather than labour. Thirdly, Families relied on the income and would suffer hardship if the children would be laid off. And finally, the public would consider it against their British birthright if the state replaced the parent in exercising control over his child. Sidgwick argued to the committee that his workers had far better conditions than the handloom weavers in Skipton, working in their own homes. He said that the home-based weavers had often to work through the night. This did not happen during the regulated hours at his mill, although he could often hear the handloom weavers at their looms late into the night, long after his employees had gone home. High Mill, the MPs were told, operated from 5am to noon, and from 1pm to 7pm every day except Sunday. That's a 78-hour working week. 
Sidgwick's evidence captured the views of the time. He most certainly did not see himself as exploiting children. On the contrary, he was helping their families to survive and putting food in their mouths. This is clear by his response to the question. If there was a restriction as to the working of children under 10 years of age, would not it lead to no child of that age being employed in the works? Sidgwick's response was, My answer would be that I think the parent would be injured thereby because many children under 10 years aid the sustaining of the family by their wages. Later in his evidence, he claimed that his mill provided good working conditions compared to the children working at home in cotton weaving units. His mill was cleaner, better ventilated and warmer. Asked if he thought children were damaged by the work, he was emphatic. Not at all. The result of this inquiry was the Factory Act of 1819 which banned the employment of children under the age of nine and limited the hours of those aged between nine and 16 to a maximum of 12 hours a day. The law, however, was not totally effective as enforcement was in the hands of local magistrates who were, more often than not, and Skipton's included, disinclined to interfere in the running of the commerce of local businessmen who tended to be friends and colleagues of the magistrates. The Sidgwicks as employers were fairly typical, neither unusually harsh nor enlightened. They were prepared to stand up for their rights. In May 1865, another member of the family, Robert Sidgwick, brought a prosecution at Skipton Magistrates Court against a youth who had left his employment without serving a month's notice. He told the magistrates that he had seen the parents, who described the youth called Broughton as a bad lad, and advised the mill owner to use his discretion in the matter. His discretion was to force Broughton to appear at the court and promise he would return to serve out his notice. Oh, and Broughton also had to pay costs. The same edition of the Craven Pioneer gives an indication of conditions in the Sidgwick's High Mill when it reported on an inquest held in the Castle Inn on the death of an eight-year-old boy called Henry Ingham on his first day of work. Now, just remember, this is 1865. So we're some years after the 189 Factory Act, which banned the employment of children under the age of nine. Anyway, back to the inquest. The Herald said, The child was very much elated, as young boys usually are, with the prospect of being allowed to work in the same mill as his father John a self-acting mule-spinner. Poor Henry Ingham started work at 1.30pm and was dead at 3pm when his head was caught between the guard and the machinery as he went under the looms to pick up a tube. The verdict was accidentally killed by machinery in a cotton mill. 
After William Sidgwick, the founder of the High Mill, died in 1827, there were five brothers who could have run the business. The eldest, John Benson, known everywhere as JB, took up the major role. Second son Christopher soon resigned and turned to his interests of local government and religion. James appears to have had little interest and preferred to study the intricacies of railway timetables. The fourth son was Robert, who we've come across, and the youngest son was William, who took no part in the family business and became a clergyman and headmaster of Ermiston's school. It was J.B. who was called before a parliamentary, parliamentary committee again in 1840. Here he explained that children were subject to corporal punishment for bad behaviour and mistakes and argued that this was a sign of kindness. The alternative would be to dismiss them and deny their families the valuable income. He did claim to look after the welfare of his employees, calling the surgeon to attend workers who had been injured and even, on occasions, paying for doctors to attend to sick workers whose illness was totally unrelated to employment. It was Christopher Sidgwick who was to build, at his expense, a school to teach children working at the family mill reading and writing skills. The Sidgwicks opened a second mill called Low Mill, on land by the canal in Sackville Street and leased from the castle in 1839. But in the latter half of the 19th century, the Sidgwick family fortunes were on the wane. J.B. died in 1873 and the last of the brothers, Robert, died in 1883. Latterly, they had failed to show a willingness to diversify, unlike the Dewhurst family. As a result, there was little technical investment in the firm and their operation was relatively small scale compared to the massive cotton mills being run in the Lancashire towns. In July 1890, the company ceased trading and High Mill was closed and soon after demolished for its stone. Low Mill, however, was sold to the firm of C.A. Rickards manufacturing silk threads. The Herald noted, With the closing of the high mill, an important chapter in the commercial history of Skipton has ended. The Sidgwicks are the oldest manufacturing firm in Skipton, and during the long number of years they have carried on their business, they have achieved some distinction by reason of the excellence of their manufactured goods. The Herald noted, that most employees at the high mill found other jobs, either in the town's other mills, or left the town for pastures new. It is significant that the announcement of the closure of the Sidgwick business also carried news of the Dewhurst plans to extend yet again, this time over the Ella Beck on the north side of Broughton Road. As stated, the low mill was soon acquired by Leeds manufacturer Charles Rickards, who also operated the silk mill at Bell Busk. The Skipton Silk Mill, as low mill quickly became known, 
burnt down in 1908. The fire broke out in the early hours, and the contemporary reports are quite specific about how it started. During some routine repairs, a piece of silk dropped onto a naked flame, caught fire and then dropped onto an oil-saturated driving belt. The flames flared up and within seconds the whole room was ablaze. The fire caused the roof and then all the floors to give way, sending machinery crashing to the floor and throwing 300 out of work. Repairs were carried out and the mill did reopen, but not for long. The low mill, or silk mill, closed before the First World War. The building was later used by Yorkshire Water Authority before much of it was knocked down and new housing built on the site in the 1990s. At least the developers showed sympathy with the site's heritage, as they named the development Sidgwick Court, after the family that built the low mill and the high mill before it. Unlike developers of other mill sites, but that's a rant for another time. Perhaps in the next episode, when I'll be looking at the story of Dewhurst Mill in Skipton, which for many decades employed more than 1,000 people. So, until then, thank you for listening. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.